This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Jimmy Dore Show, Dan Savage, The David Pakman Show, The Young Turks, and The Majority Report. And a note for all listeners, this episode contains strong language and disturbing imagery, and not just that of men marrying horses. Okay, this uh, this week's oh, oh My God episode, um, I don't know if you've heard of Elaine Donnelly. She's from the Center for Military Readiness. I didn't even know there was a center like that, but there is. There's a center for military readiness. And Isn't her- that called the military? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> I have tried to surprise attack them so many times unsuccessfully. <laughs> You mean the military ready, yeah. the center yeah. for military yeah. readiness? Yes. So anyway, she's up. A, she was. She warned us about what would happen if they let gays into the military. And uh, last week, uh, Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta, uh, he announced that he was going to be having a gay orgy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell. It's like a gay appreciation uh, mm-hmm. kind of a ceremony or something mm-hmm. like that. I, yeah, gay orgy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you would call it exactly. I don't know what you would call it exactly, but uh, she's upset about it over there at the Center for Military Readiness. Leon Panetta celebrating in so-called Gay Pride Month, that which makes up less than 3%. To the best of my knowledge, and you and I have been friends for years, I've never heard of a heterosexual month, and they make up 97% of the military. Right, and what happened to the notion that, well, we just want to serve in the military, we just want to be quiet and uh, modest and uh, discreet just like everyone else. What happened to that? Well, yeah, shut up. <laughs> What's with the gays all of a sudden? Shut up. And I love the, I love that whole thing, that canard of, we've never had a heterosexual month. Hey, that's because every month is heterosexual Yeah, when, when are the heterosexuals going to get a holiday that they can celebrate? I, I, like a white people's history <laughs> month. How come we don't get a parade? <laughs> I, all those things I've heard come out of people's mouth from my old neighborhood. Yes. How, how come we can't have a white, uh, a, a white Miss America? Why can't, why do I have to have a Miss? <laughs> why not white history month? <laughs> Well, you grew up near Skokie, right? So they did have a white parade there. <laughs> no, I grew up on the other side of the city. But um, all right, there's more of this. Well, of course, that was all phony because the, uh, uh, the LGBT activist groups know exactly how to intimidate other people, uh, make other people feel they are not welcome, their views are not welcome. And, and- you know, if there's anybody who knows how to make people feel uncomfortable, it's gay people. <laughs> they, they're using their power of their minority Ooh. status. Yes. To uh, make make the majority feel uncomfortable yes. around them, especially military people. You know how they they can't handle. I awkward, hate. I hate. They're skittish. I the, hate uh, military the, people. The subtle ins- insinuations that I'm straight that they always make. <laughs> it's, just, it's so belittle, belittling, and it mm-hmm. just bugs me. I hate their sarcasm too. And name calling occurs quite a bit. Name calling. Hey, straighty. Hey, majority person. Hey, person who's like most other people who aren't like me. Hey, they, they don't like nasty comments by gay people. What are they, opera singers? <laughs> what does that mean? What nasty? Here we go. Um, that's pretty much part of the pattern, and it's one of the reasons why uh, the 1993 law regarding gays in the military should have been retained. Okay, so there we go. That's... Uh, that is Elaine Donnelly, the Senator for Military Readiness. She's upset with gay people making the straights in the military feel ostracized. Mm-hmm. Who's going to do her hair now? I don't understand. <laughs> I, I can almost hear her unsatisfied home life in her voice. <laughs> Look inside. 
Look inside your tiny mind and look a bit harder. Cause we're so uninspired, so sick and tired of all the hatred you harbor. So you say it's not okay to be gay. Well, I think you're just evil. You're just some racist who can't tie my laces. Your point of view is medieval. We've talked about Alan Chambers on this show before. He has, for 20 years, been the head of Exodus International. That is the organization that claims that they can cure gay people through prayer. That is the organization that has been telling gay people for 20 years that change is possible and they can give you freedom, I'm quoting, freedom from the homosexual lifestyle. Well, last week, Alan Chambers, head of Exodus International, America's oldest and biggest Pray Away the Gay Ministry, the world's oldest and biggest Pray Away the Gay Ministry, made waves when he told us all something we already knew. Ex-gays are not ex-gay. Quoting from the New York Times, Mr. Chambers said that virtually every ex-gay he has ever met still harbors homosexual cravings, himself included. Mr. Chambers, who left the gay life to marry and have two children, said that gay Christians like himself faced a lifelong spiritual struggle to avoid sin and should not be afraid to admit it. The end. Now, if Exodus and other ex-gay ministries can't make gay men straight, if they can't pray away the gay, what can they do for us? According to Chambers, Exodus and Jesus can help us struggle against our natural, inborn, unprayawayable desires for love and intimacy and companionship and a partnership so that we can hold our lunch down long enough to marry opposite-sex partners, and maybe, if we're lucky, crap out a couple of kids with them, like Alan. With Exodus's help, gay people can live as heterosexuals, even if we're not, you know, actually heterosexuals. And we never will be, not with his help, not with anyone's help, because we can't change, because we will always be gay. But to live that heterosexual lifestyle, says Alan, you have got to want to live a heterosexual lifestyle. You've got to want it desperately. Where have we heard this shit before? Now it's my turn. And ready or not, Michael, here goes. You're a sad and pathetic man. You're a homosexual and you don't want to be. But there's nothing you can do to change it. Not all your prayers to your God. Not all the analysis you can buy in all the years you've got left to live. You may very well one day be able to know a heterosexual life, if you want it desperately enough. If you pursue it with the fervor with which you annihilate. But you'll always be homosexual as well. Always, Michael. Always. That, of course, is from The Boys in the Band. The 1969 play by Matt Crowley about some homosexuals at a birthday party in New York, and they're all sort of vicious. It's, for those of you who may not have seen it, imagine who's afraid of Virginia Woolf with a bunch of cocksuckers tearing into each other. And the play ends basically right there with Harold saying to Michael, you will always be a homosexual, Michael. Always. 
So we've gone really full circle with these Exodus assholes. We've gone from Boys in the Band, which was a huge cultural phenomenon that took place, that opened a year before the Stonewall Riots. We've gone through 40 years of the gay rights movement and 40 years of an anti-gay backlash funded by the religious right and 20 years of this ex-gay bullshit movement, this fraudulent bullshit ex-gay movement that promised freedom from homosexuality only to arrive back where we started. Alan Chambers is a sad and pathetic man. He's a homosexual and he doesn't want to be, but there's nothing he can do to change it. Not all the prayers to his God can change it. Still, Alan Chambers knows a heterosexual life because he wants it desperately enough. But Alan Chambers and all those other ex-gays out there are still homosexuals and they always will be. Always. I gotta be me. Let's listen to one voicemail about an anti-gay conspiracy. 219-2-David-P. Let's take a listen. Uh, hey, David. Ben Talvey here. And uh, I've listened to your show. Really enjoy it. And I wanted to talk about your um, interview with Wayne Besson and Michael Brown, or debate, or whatever you want to call it. And I have two points. I think, first of all, I think it's time to start lumping the anti-gay people and even the creationists in the same camp as, you know, climate change deniers, 9-11 truthers, Roswell cover-up people, the Apollo moon landing. Um, you know, because all they really are, I think, is just conspiracy theories. But even though the science has is, is already, you know, reached a consensus, they, they really just refuse to believe that that is the case. And therefore... I like this. I like this idea. The reality is that being anti-gay is not that different than being a conspiracy theorist in so many other ways insofar as so many of the anti-gay hypotheses are based on completely unsubstantiated and debunked theories about what it means to be gay, what it means to be the son of someone who's gay. As we know, the children of, of gay couples do not have worse results in life, however you measure it. There is no link between homosexuality and pedophilia, the way that so many anti-gay people like to say. There is nothing unnatural about being gay, as homosexuality exists in thousands well, of species. I mean, a lot of a lot of anti-gay people aren't refuting science because they don't know about the science. They don't know anything about it. They've never looked into it. All they're some doing, of them. Yeah, all they're doing is uh, a lot of them. All they're doing is looking at the Bible, which they think says it's bad, and they think the Bible is the word of of God. They just follow it. I like this, though. Th really, we should be talking to anti-gay bigots the same way we talk to conspiracy theorists of all kinds. So we don't talk to them. Well, we talk to them in a way that you talk to someone who has, who, who does seem to have some kind of an issue, some kind of a cognitive issue. I mean, can't we make the argument that being an anti-gay bigot is at some level a cognitive issue? Uh, bigotry across the board, I guess you could, you could say. Just be friends, look at both my ink quills brimming I was my 
As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. As Democrats are drafting their platform, they appear at this point, the first draft appears to be supporting same-sex marriage rights. The language approved over the weekend also reiterated the party's disapproval of the Defense of Marriage Act, which, as you know, uh, prohibits the federal government from recognizing legal same-sex marriage. The 2008 platform had a similar section. Uh, However, uh, this one goes a little bit further. It is... um, It basically says... uh, I don't know the exact language, but it comes out in in favor of same-sex marriage. We shall see. And the... Perhaps the most interesting thing about this um, this inclusion into the platform is that it's not going to be terribly controversial at all. I mean, yes, there's bound to be that thirty uh, percent that still thinks George Bush did a good job, and that um, and that the uh, you know the the world is only five six thousand years old. And that human beings, somewhere, I guess about what was it, forty-five hundred years ago, were were walking around with dinosaurs. Uh, those folks probably will have a problem with it, but uh, I don't think um, that really comes into the mix at all. So, good for the Democrats taking a um, you know a stand. It's not uh, terribly controversial within the Democratic Party. The the president has more or less signed off on. Uh, same-sex marriage, and uh, so good for them. Some good news. There's progress in some very, well, I I don't want to minimize it. I mean, uh, but um, political parties tend to follow where the country is, the, or at least in some instances, and certainly in this one. The gays are coming to get us no longer a winning recipe for Republicans, and uh, we should be thankful for that. The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. 
By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. Not all gay people are good. Being gay can be good, and there are lots of good gay people out there, but not all gay people are good. Um, sometimes I get in trouble when I say that, and when people come back at me as if I'm somehow letting down the side by admitting that some gay people are evil or stupid or crazy, I always respond with, Jeffrey Dahmer ate a friend of mine. It's really hard for someone whose friend was butchered and consumed by a gay cannibal to just blithely swan around acting like all gay people are good or you should just assume that all gay people are good. They get some sort of benefit of the doubt. They don't. And I say that as a gay person. Not all gay people are sane. Not all gay people are good. Not all gay people are trustworthy. That point was driven home last week when an insane, clearly insane gay person showed up at the offices, uh, presumed to be gay person. This person had volunteered at an LGBT organization in Washington, D.C. I'm not up on all the reports right now. Maybe he's openly gay. Uh, I assume that he is. But this person showed up at the offices of the Family Research Council in Washington, D.C., got into a tussle with a security guard, pulled a gun, and shot the guard. The person had a lot of ammunition on him and may have been planning some sort of mass shooting. We do not yet know, but this person was gay and crazy. Uh, let me be the first to say, as I was the first to say last week on Twitter, that I condemn violence. I condemn any political violence uh, against uh, our side or their side or any side of any political or religious debate. Violence has no place. Uh, and I believe I was the first on Twitter to point out that if the shooter at the Family Research Council offices in Washington, D.C. was motivated by religious animus, was motivated by bigotry, he can and should be charged under the kinds of hate crime statutes that the Family Research Council itself opposes. Uh, and I would like to see him charged with a hate crime if indeed he was motivated by hate, if that shakes out uh, in the trial. Now, that said, um, the... Uh, Family Research Council, Brian Brown, other people are trying to capitalize on this, other people on the right, by saying that we, gay people, and the Southern Poverty Law Center, which had designated the Family Research Council as an anti-gay hate group, created this climate of conflict and, uh, you know, heightened and heated rhetoric that led directly to this shooting. The name of the shooter was Floyd Corkins, and what Tony Perkins, president of the Family Research Council, said on... Fox News the other day was that, quote, Floyd Corkins was given license to shoot an unarmed man by organizations like the Southern Poverty Law Center that have been reckless in labeling organizations hate groups because they disagree with them on public policy, uh, specifically same-sex marriage. A lot of people are running around saying that the Family Research Council was designated a hate group because they oppose same-sex marriage. I want to tell you a little story quickly, a little digression about uh, an, an opponent of same-sex marriage. This person was running for office a few years ago and said, and I quote, that they opposed gay marriage because when a man marries a woman, God is in the mix. That's kind of an offensive thing to say. Offensive to men who are atheists who marry women who are atheists and have totally civil ceremonies without invoking God at all to insert God into their relationships against their will, kind of insulting them, but really insulting to same-sex couples. Who exactly is in the mix when a man marries a man or a woman marries a woman? If God is in the mix when a man marries a woman, the Pillsbury Doughboy? Satan? Who the fuck is it? 
kind of an offensive thing to say. Now, you would imagine that if gay people routinely blew up or were angry at leaders or organizations that oppose same-sex marriage, uh, that this was all it took to, you know, earn our ire everlastingly, to be labeled a hate organization or a hater, that gay people would have opposed this candidate who was running for office uh, vociferously, for, particularly after he said that he opposed same-sex marriage because God is in the mix when a man marries a woman. That candidate, of course, not to let the cat out of the bag, that candidate was Barack Obama, who earned upwards of 70% of the gay vote in 2008. Uh, I voted for him. I sent him a check. This is not about opposition to gay marriage. The Southern Poverty Law Center responded to Tony Perkins saying that his accusations uh, against him are outrageous. The SPLC has listed the Family Research Council as a hate group since 2010 because it has knowingly spread false and denigrating propaganda about LGBT people, not, as some claim, because it opposes gay marriage. Jeremy Hooper, a good as you, uh, a terrific uh, LGBT rights blog, put up a list of the things, the sorts of things that Family Research Council has said over the years that got it labeled a hate group. It's not about opposition to same-sex marriage. Uh, Tony Perkins has gone on television and claimed that gay teenagers commit suicide because they know they're doing something wrong by being gay, and that is why they kill themselves. Uh, the Family Research Council has published a pamphlet that compares, that likens same-sex marriage to man-on-horse marriage, a pamphlet illustrated with a picture of a horse. Uh, the Family Research Council has compared gay people to terrorists, has said it's a fact that homosexuality leads to eternal damnation, said the blood of dead Marines would be on the hands of any politician who supported the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Peter Sprigg, an official at the Family Research Council on Hardball with Chris Matthews, called for gay sex to be criminalized, for gay people to be thrown in jail for having sex with each other, consensual adult sexual intercourse. And among the most infuriating and damaging things that the FRC has put out there it's a publication called Homosexual Activists Work to Normalize Sex with Boys that said one of the, and I'm quoting, one of the primary goals of the homosexual rights movement is to abolish all age of consent laws and to eventually recognize pedophiles as the prophets of a new sexual order. The proof that we're looking to normalize sex between men and boys and we want to make pedophilia acceptable, the proof that they held up is that homosexual activists publicly disassociate themselves from pedophiles. That's the proof that we have a secret plan to normalize and legalize pedophilia. Now, this pedophilia charge that Family Research Council is constantly making, comparing, equating homosexuality with pedophilia, saying they are one and the same, uh, is particularly damaging to young gay people. Forty percent of homeless teenagers or LGBT kids were thrown out of their houses after they came out or outed to their families. I have heard from scores and scores and scores of teenagers of gay teenagers who were thrown out of their houses when they came out to their families because their parents were convinced that they were a danger to their younger siblings because, of course, gay people are pedophiles. And these kids would not be able to resist raping their younger brothers, so out they went onto the street. There are real-world consequences to the kind of hate that the Family Research Council spreads. Do not believe the hype. Do not believe the lies. The shooting was a despicable, violent act. I condemn it. Every gay rights group in America signed on to a public letter condemning the shooting. But the Family Research Council is out there claiming now that they are the victims and that this shooting proves that they are not a hate organization, as if shooting up the offices of the KKK proves that they're not actually racists. They're the victims. No. And they're not considered a hate organization because they oppose same-sex marriage. Good and decent people 
oppose same-sex marriage for sometimes what they believe to be rational reasons. Barack Obama used to be one of them, and gay people supported Barack Obama and voted for Barack Obama back when he did not support same-sex marriage. This is not about same-sex marriage. This is about hatred. This is about lies. This is about the defamation of gay people. That is the Family Research Council's only reason to exist. The Family Research Council, like NAM, the National Organization for Marriage, is in the bearing false witness business. They bear false witness against their gay and lesbian neighbors every day in the most vile and hateful terms possible, which is why they have been labeled an anti-gay hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Another in incredibly anti-gay ad uh, for Romney Ryan from a super PAC. This is a super PAC. The video is called New Morning. It's from the Campaign for American Values. Now, this is a super PAC that has ties with, of course, evangel evangelical leader Gary Bauer, and it's trying to scare would-be Obama supporters in at least one southern swing state by raising the specter of the president's support for gay marriage. Listen to the language used in this. This is a disturbing ad. But it's so typical of what's going on on that right wing. It is, it's crazy over there. Listen to this ad. Hey, honey. How are you? Fine, I guess. What's going on? Well, Obama is trying to force gay marriage on this country. <laughs> That's not the change I voted for. Marriage is between a man and a woman. That's not the change I voted for either. What can we do? We can vote for someone with values. Campaign for American Values PAC is responsible wow. for the content of this advertisement. Isn't that absurd? I mean, first of all, it, again, this is not a Mitt Romney campaign ad, and I said that very clearly. This is a super PAC which is supporting Mitt Romney. What the hell is this? First of all, if you were to parody a right-wing anti-gay ad, it, it, there would be no difference. You, there, I mean, how could you, if you were to parody that, would it be any different? It would be no. that. That's the ad. That's the parody. That's it. It's, it's, it's laughably ridiculous. And the other part is this idea that people are being, Obama's forcing straight people to have gay marriages. He's forcing gay marriage upon America. Yeah. All of a sudden, <laughs> that, that woman in the commercial and her husband are going to be married to someone of the same sex. <laughs> And, uh, One of them will it, be forced to actually have a sex change. Their marriage will be destroyed. This, this would is, be like an... Yeah, go ahead. And no, I was just going to say, this is completely analogous to having Xena commercial like this in the 1950s talking about integration of schools or integrated marriages even. I was taking it a step further. This is like seeing an ad a long time ago where a, a, a religious couple wakes up and says, Dear, I'm upset. They're trying to push Copernican theory on us. They want to impose on us that the sun is at the center of our solar system. Well, we know because the church told us that it's the earth at the middle. It's the earth. And it's, I didn't vote for this kind of change. Not Copernicus, not now. Right? I mean, yeah. it's the same type of thing. Flashback. They're trying to force on us that the earth is round, but it's flat. God said so. It, it, that, there's no difference to this ad. It's identical. Yeah, it, it's confusing. Uh, I wonder where the next one will be. Obama's trying to force health care on us. <laughs> yeah, Obama's trying to make it so people don't die of scurvy. Yeah, well, 
Lewis, what would you say is the number one reason people should tune into the David Pakman show if they like Jay Tomlinson's Best of the Left podcast? I mean, I see it completely differently from, from someone who's just watching it. Yeah, well, but if I was asking someone else's opinion for the promo... I don't even watch our show, so how can I answer that question? I do not watch our show. So Lewis is, isn't even a fan of the show. <laughs> Maybe the answer is Lewis doesn't actually like this show. Can you be show. a fan of the show? I mean, are you? Can, is, isn't that kind of stupid to be a fan of your own show? I'm a huge fan of this show. <laughs> of course. That's like being a fan of yourself. You're like a narcissist. What, do you put pictures up of yourself at home, too? Well, if that doesn't make you curious, I don't know what will. Check out The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. A father's letter disowning his gay son is going viral on Reddit, and when you read it, it's kind of unbelievable to think that anyone would be able to disown their son just because of the fact that they're gay. Um, but I want to read you a little bit of it so you guys get a sense of um, how hateful this father is. Uh, it's addressed to James, uh, who uh, put this on the internet in the first place and it mm -hmm. says James this is a difficult but necessary letter to write I hope your telephone call was not to receive my blessing for the degrading of your lifestyle I have fond memories of our times together but that's all in the past don't expect any further conversations with me no conversations at all I will not come to visit nor do I want you in my house you've made your choice though wrong it may be God did not intend for this unnatural lifestyle. If you choose not to attend my funeral, my friends and family will understand. Have a good birthday and a good life. No president exchanges will be accepted. Goodbye, Dad. All right. Now, this is a horrible uh, letter, and I'm going to go off on the dude in a second. But l let me just note that I like at the end of this that he gratuitously says, by the way, no presents will be exchanged. <laughs> Really? Okay. I didn't get that sense. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm, not, okay. I'm not laughing at this story, but that part was so absurd. I'm like, yeah, you made it clear, you fucking douchebag. We <laughs> right. got it. <laughs> right. And goodbye, Dad. No, not really. Not anymore. Right? Yeah. So now let me get angry at the guy. Okay. Look, I, I've got a son now. I cannot imagine disowning him for almost any reason. Mm. And, you know, you never know what life brings you. But for this, that you're going to turn on the, the son that you love... Because he was born a certain way? I mean, how do you do that as a human being? And you know, we've seen these stories. Alan Keyes threw out his daughter from his house because it turned out she was lesbian. And you see these heartless stories. Your kids, how could you have kids and then do this to them? It, it amazes me every time. And then, to do it all based on a ridiculous interpretation of the Bible. And why do I say it's ridiculous? Yeah, a man shall not sleep with a man. Look, guys, we've been over this, right? But the Old Testament has so many crazy things in it. You cut the goat's head off and you sprinkle the blood and there's shellfish and they don't handle the ham and the pork, etc. But you focus on this and you think like, no, 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 this is the most important thing God told me. I should disown my own son because of some stupid thing that was written like nearly probably over 2,500 years ago by a man who had no idea of anything at the time. They thought that the stars were pinholes in the sky and that you, they could see heaven through. They knew 
nothing. I feel like, Jake, a minority of people who are against gays actually believe the Bible. I feel like they use the Bible as an excuse. The majority of people who hate gays are people who are ignorant and they don't understand it. They don't know. And I've said that before on the show. People are like, oh, how dare you call them ignorant just because they don't agree with your political views. It's not a political view. They're ignorant. They're ignorant because they believe that it's a choice that people make when it is not a choice. It's something that they're born with, right? So that's where the ignorance comes from. They're ignorant. I'll say it again. They're ignorant, okay? I don't, I don't feel bad about saying that whatsoever. I, I uh, feel sick for this kid and, you know, and honestly for the dad too, because obviously I believe him, you know, if the story is true, it's put on Reddit. You know, obviously we have to give a disclaimer. Anything put online, you don't know for a fact, right? Right. But, it, you know, it seems credible. It's a handwritten letter, etc., for what it's worth, right? Uh, and I feel bad for the dad, too, in some ways. I, I'm sickened by him, and I can't believe he did it. But he has these fond memories of a son, and because of some voodoo that some pastor told him about some incredibly unimportant part of the Bible, and which then, they, of course, they say the Old Testament doesn't count when it comes to the shrimp and the pork and everything else, and all the stuff we don't want, the Old Testament doesn't count, but on hating gays, it does count, based on some stupid, ridiculous dogma from 2,500 years ago, he disowns his own son. So we got to stop this madness. Th yes. That's why I speak out against it all the time. Because it's ruining people's lives based on these old fairy tales that aren't even remotely true. Now the timing of this letter is important because this letter was written five years ago and James decided to release it now and he explains why. He says, it's important to know just what this zealotry from Brian Fisher, Maggie Gallagher, Dan Cathy et al. does to everyday people. I've never done drugs, was an excellent student, an obedient child, far less trouble than many of my classmates, didn't drink until I was 22 because it terrified me and have had just one speeding ticket in my life, yet I'm still seemingly deserving of this terrible act of hate and cowardice that one person can place on another. Can you imagine if your dad did that to you? No, I can't. I, I, I can't. I, I love my dad, and we've had a great relationship. And be, if he, you know, because of something seemingly random about me, I mean, it could be that you were born gay or born with black hair or something, and at some point you realize, oh my God, you have black hair. God hates you. That's it. I disown you. And that's it. You're on your own from now on. No presents will be exchanged. It's sick, man. What's the point if you ain't time careful careful What's the point with a love makes you ain't time careful? You've got a heart on fire, expression with desire. And this is particularly uh, relevant. There's a story out of Miami. A, um, a couple, two women, Dana Lafita Smith and Jordan Lafita Smith, who were living in Florida, had been involved with each other for, I think, at least seven years. And they drove to New York to to get married because in Florida they're not allowed to 
And uh, in New York, uh, same-sex couples have the same rights as non-same-sex couples to marry. And, of course, uh, they understood that their marriage would not be recognized in the state of Florida. But they went back down there. And in Florida, apparently, a marriage certificate is valid ID for Florida's Department of Motor Vehicles. Because it's issued either by Florida or by any other state. Just like you could probably take a driver's license from New York and go and get uh, your car registered in uh, Florida. So uh, Dana and Jordan Lafita Smith went into a Panama City uh, Department of Motor Vehicles office. And uh, they had gotten new Social Security cards with the same last names on the back. They went to get new driver's licenses to reflect that their names have been officially changed. Their last names, anyways. Licenses were printed out. They discovered they were eight bucks short. And the DMV does not take visas. So they went to an ATM, got the money in return. When they returned they found out that their licenses had been denied because their marriage certificates were considered invalid because Florida does not recognize same-sex marriage. So contemplate this for a moment. Not only is Florida arguing that we don't give you the same rights as non-same-sex couples, not only do we not recognize your legal contract, essentially, from the state of New York, even though we do generally for non-same-sex couples, we're going to even ignore the validity of this document as being a legitimate document from that state. Never mind that we're not prepared to give you the rights. We just will ignore that document. And the problem is, is that they can't get a passport. Um, I suppose they, th they could get a passport. Ultimately, they, they, I guess they can. But they can't use their Social Security cards uh, because the names are different from their original licenses. Without a license, they can't legally drive. They can't vote. They're at risk at losing their car insurance because uh, they, they could lose their car insurance, but they could also lose their car because their loan on their car is a function of having car insurance. And you can't get car insurance if you can't get it registered and get your driver's licenses. Apparently, according to uh, the spokesperson from the DMV, we don't even recognize the documentation of same-sex marriage. And there's a lot of gay people in, uh, in Florida now who have this problem. But what are you going to do? At least we're not drug testing them like we do everybody else in Florida. Why you had to hide away for 
Remember Stacy Campfield, Tennessee State Senator, who's been a guest on this show? He was on this show to talk about Don't Say Gay, the Don't Say Gay bill, which is where you can't even talk about homosexuality existing in Tennessee public schools because apparently it might make children gay, just hearing about being gay. The same way that once I heard about being tall and I decided, what the hell, I'll be tall. Didn't quite work. No. Didn't work for me. No. Nope. But it's the same type of idea. He was also very concerned about gateway sexual activity like hand-holding. That can be really, really dangerous. He is now saying that LGBT teen suicide is, quote, the biggest lark out there. Just doesn't exist. Now, most people know, of course, that LGBT teen suicide is an issue. We've, heard, we've seen and heard extensive reporting about it. We know about bullied LGBT youth who do end up tragically taking their lives. This is a problem. We know it's a problem. Stacey Campfield doesn't think so. He was on the SiriusXM show, the Michelangelo Signorelli show. Michelangelo, I had actually met him at Netroots Nation. Very nice guy. Mm -hmm. He's a fan of this show. Yeah. We're a fan of his show. It's symbiotic. It, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Lewis. He ha uh, interviewed State Senator Stacey Campfield, and he commented about a number of things, and he had this choice quote to say about, uh, about LGBT teen suicides. He says, quote, that bullying thing is the biggest lark out there. There are sexually confused children who could be pushed into a lifestyle that I don't think is appropriate with them, and it's not for the norm for society. And they don't know how they can get back from that. I think a lot of times these young teens and young children, they find it very hard on themselves, and unfortunately some of them commit suicide. So I read this a bunch of times, and if you don't understand it from my one reading, uh, I didn't understand it from 10 readings, okay? But he, he does seem to be saying that it kind of is an issue, but for a different reason. It's because they're being pushed into a lifestyle. Of course, being gay is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle where you are ridiculed and subjected to uh, uh, lack of rights and considered a second-class citizen by many people. But nevertheless, apparently, it's, it's for some reason, even with all that, it's an attractive lifestyle for some people to choose, and that's why they're killing themselves. Yeah, and who is it that's pushing them into this lifestyle? Um... I don't know, Joe Biden? <laughs> Glee, Ken Kenyan show Glee. Muslim socialist communist presidents? Yeah, uh, Indonesian, Kenyan, Muslim socialist, Native American anarchist presidents obviously also are gay and want children to be gay and they push them into that lifestyle. Is it just a matter of time before Stacey Campfield is caught tapping his toes in an airport, uh, an airport men's room? A wide stance debacle, as they may now be known? I really hope so. I really do. I don't actually hope so. I mean, in other words, it's very widely documented that a lot of these extreme right-wing anti-gay nuts are gay, and part of them acting out in this incredibly hateful and, and damaging way is because of how they grew up in an unaccepting society. So I, I, I only, the only thing, I don't hope that this guy is gay or isn't gay. I just hope that eventually he can sort out this rage and anger that has really taken over. I mean, it's almost what he, he it is what he is known for. Well, I think what does anyone know of Stacey Campfield as other than that anti-gay nut? Yeah, I think, I think he clearly has followers and people who voted for him. So Somebody voted for him. Yeah, well, I think if these people see that, if it turns out that he is gay himself and people see that, it might change their opinion of things when they see that he was just acting out in in anger because of uh, because of the way he was raised. And You're that, right. Maybe that's the positive. Maybe that's that's the the one possibility. Of course, we're not saying he's gay. We're just speculating.
Former University of Michigan student Christopher Armstrong has been awarded $4.5 million uh, after Andrew Chevelle, the former assistant attorney general of Michigan, uh, stalked him and defamed him on his blog. So this is a really fascinating story. Christopher Armstrong is a gay student. Uh, he served on the student body, and this random assistant attorney general found out about it and he freaked out and started stalking him right and he's like oh he's trying to spread this radical gay agenda and we have to stop him he literally dedicated a blog to stopping him i don't know what that even means <laughs> right i know what it means it means he's gay it totally does okay so the harassment got so bad that in 2010 he got fired from his position as assistant attorney general and uh, as i mentioned this student has now been awarded uh, 4.5 million dollars because he has been uh, defamed in these blog posts. So now, this guy claimed, hey, listen, I got a First Amendment right to say anything I want about this guy. No, you don't. Which is not really true, <laughs> as he found out to the tune of four and a half million dollars. And, uh, but the way that he got obsessed with the kid is fascinating. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's why, you know, we're joking that he's mm -hmm. gay. Hey, but, you know, he would agree that we have the First Amendment right to call him anything we like, right? Presumably. That's true. So, but look, you don't get obsessed about some college student and stalk him and write blogs about him and how dirty, dirty, naughty he is for being so gay. He would show Unless up. Unless you're interested in that guy in a different way. I mean, it's the weirdest thing in the world. He would show up at this kid's like public speaking events and if he was out with his family, oh, this creeper would show up and just like you know, take notes on what he was doing and then write about it in his blog. How scary is that? No, no, and I know guys, I know the way their mind works, gay or straight, right? Mm -hmm. Some dudes, they, once they lose it, man, they can't come back and they get obsessed about something sexual. But it's almost always sexual, okay? And so, and then he just has to find an excuse and he's got to find a way to live with himself because he's been anti-gay his whole life. So he's like, no, 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 there's a good reason why I'm following him and looking at his ass the entire time. There is, it's a really good reason because I hate the fact that he, it, it, you know, is gay. I hate it, I hate it. Look at him. God, I hate myself. I mean him. Mm -hmm. Right? Come on. This, and this guy's a former assistant attorney general. How scary is it that these clowns are in power Position. positions? Yeah. Yeah, and thank God that the kid didn't have any problems with the law and run into this guy in the wrong context. All y'all probably don't know who Father Benedict Gruschel is. He's a 79-year-old uh, Catholic Franciscan friar. Uh, he's also the co-founder of Courage, which is the ex-gay Catholic organization. And in 2011, according to Box Turtle Bulletin, he won the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Catholic Psychotherapy Association. So he's obviously a wonderful, smart, intuitive 
sensitive, caring guy. In a recent interview, uh, and now I'm quoting a piece at Huffington Post, in a recent interview with the National Catholic Register, Father Benedict Groeschel of the conservative Franciscan Friars of the Renewal said that teens act as seducers in some sexual abuse cases involving priests. Here's what the father said. People have this picture in their minds of a person planning to, you know, of a psychopath. But that's not the case. Suppose you have a man having a nervous breakdown and a youngster comes after him. A lot of the cases, the youngster, 14, 16, 18, is the seducer. Pressed for clarification, the New York State-based religious leader explained that kids kids who were raped by priests, were looking for father figures and they might be drawn to priests because priests can, and I quote, fill a hole. This has to go down in history as perhaps the poorest choice of words in, in the entire Catholic priestly sex abuse scandal, perhaps the poorest choice of words. As if we didn't already know that Priests had it in them to fill 14-year-old boys' holes. Tell us something we don't know, Father Benedict. And it actually got worse from there, that interview. He defends Jerry Sandusky, says, and this is the thing that just blows my mind. Benedict expressed a belief that most of these relationships are heterosexual in nature. You know, he's the leader of the ex-gay group, so we have to round up priests fucking boys to somehow heterosexual in nature, and that historically sexual relationships between men and boys had not been thought of as crimes. If you go back 10 or 15 centuries, is that what he's about to say? No, years. 10 or 15 years, says the father, it was very rarely thought of or brought up as a civil crime. Nobody thought of it that way 10 or 15 years ago. Ancient fucking altar boy fucking history. And the father goes on, and I'm inclined to think on a priest's first offense they should not go to jail because their intention was not committing a crime. He says, I'm quoting, their intention was not committing a crime. They were just filling a hole. And these motherfuckers these motherfuckers sit in judgment over us. These are the motherfuckers. This is not some, like, run-of-the-mill, dingbat, drunk-ass priest in some obscure parish somewhere. This is the head of a Franciscan order. This is a co-founder of the ex-gay Catholic ministry. This man has written books. This man is a respected elder in the church. And it ain't gay when priests fuck boys. And it ain't rape when priests fuck boys. And it ain't... A crime or shouldn't be a crime and a priest should get one gimme, one pass. That's what he's saying. If it's a priest's first offense, they should not go to jail. So you get one. One boy. One altar boy. You get to rape, you get free and clear, you get to rape that kid. And when you rape that kid, it was because that kid seduced you. Because that kid had a hole that needed filling. And nobody can fill a kid's hole like a Catholic priest. And these are the motherfuckers who insist that I should not be allowed to marry Terry, that I, my sexual, being openly, honestly gay, two adult men who are in love with each other, we are intrinsically morally disordered according to the church. And this motherfucker, if I'm intrinsically morally disordered, if I'm 
intrinsically evil. They have described adoptions by same-sex couples as doing violence to children. Perhaps we should defer. They're obviously the experts when it comes to doing violence to children. My relationship is intrinsically morally disordered. What the fuck is this guy? If I am intrinsically morally disordered, what the fuck is this guy? Oh, I know what the fuck this guy is. He is a professor of pastoral psychology at St. Joseph's Seminary in the Archdiocese of New York. This guy is talking to young seminarians every day about mental and sexual health issues. This guy is helping to prepare the next generation of Catholic priests. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If kids got raped at Denny's, at the clip that they got raped in Catholic churches, if the vice president for consumer affairs of Denny's went around saying shit like this, every Denny's franchise in America would be on fire. There would be riots. But they wear skirts and they claim to have a little red phone on their desks that when they pick up the handset, God answers, so they get a pass. And it ain't rape. They're the victims. They're being seduced by those 14-year-olds that have holes that need filling. And I'm the intrinsically morally disordered one. Response to a comment at the end of your recent economics episode, John from Reno had uh, left a voicemail uh, to disagree with a clip that was critical of uh, the Catholic Church and their handling of sexual abuse cases in general. And you know, disagreement is fine. I, if I remember the clip, it was from David Packman's show, and the, the two hosts were not in agreement. If uh, who's labeling Catholic Church as the world's biggest uh, pedophile ring was appropriate or not. Uh, they didn't get into that argument, but, but the idea the idea stood. Uh, but the John goes on from disagreeing um, to make a really egregious false equivalency to compare the Catholic Church's response to the sexual abuse scandal to Muslims' response to terrorism. And first of all, the Muslim community has uh, overwhelmingly uh, condemned the use of terrorism as a political tactic. That's, that's just not true to make that comparison. Secondly, there's a difference between a community of believers and an organization like a church. Uh, the Catholic Church has a leadership structure, and there's a single individual who is supposed to be in charge of that organization. When that organization doesn't you know, condemn the acts of its uh, of its individual followers when they are clearly in the wrong and and in the wrong according to that organization's own values, but instead mm, covers up, defends, makes excuses. It seems a legitimate argument to make, very different than individual Catholics not seriously condemning the acts of the priests. 
which, to be honest, I think that's where the majority of the condemnation of the abuse of the Catholic Church is coming from. Individual Catholics with the community are, are outraged. They, they are strongly condemning the acts of the priests and, and the acts of the Church itself in covering up for the priests. So, there you go. Hi, Jay. This is Daniel from California. And I wanted to call in and comment on Joe's call from last week, uh, or last episode. It really made me think a lot about what he had talked about, and I thought it was really interesting and really um, highlighted aspects of just being, of humanity, of being human, because it's a subjective experience of being human. Joe's father's subjective experience with minorities in the areas that he was were negative experiences. So it makes sense that Joe adap- Joe's father adapted based on those negative experiences and even though there are a few, they're still threatening, so they, they hold a lot of weight in the area that he was. But he mentioned that he was in New York during the 1970s and 80s. And I know here in L.A., during that time period, the minority districting that had gone on and the forced poverty on the minority section was really coming to a head with a lot of crime. Um, Watts riots uh, in the 1970s, I'm sure, it was very similar in New York, from what I understand. And so, yes, he's having a subjective experience of crime with minorities, but it's it's a whole it's, it's a bigger picture, and that's where the education comes from and these discussions, which is what I love, um, because it makes me think about it. Because things like education and social sciences, or specifically sociology, deal with the plethora of reasons why Joe's father had the subjective experience that he did with minorities, and so yeah, you can look at that and say yeah, it makes sense that he became weary of minorities, but with education, Joe's father knows that even though he might look over his shoulder or he might even buy a gun to protect himself at home, he'll know that the city or the state shouldn't be spending money to stop and frisk minorities because that's not helping his his experience, his subjective experience. He'll know that instead his city could be spending less money or the same money on education and on restoration projects in those poor neighborhoods and get a better result. And so <clears throat> it's the subjective experience that makes you adapt and protect yourself just like the minorities who are being attacked through poverty or defending themselves, it makes sense from the subjective stance. But you have to have the education of what privilege has done and the lack specifically of privilege to the minority classes that has had these effects and that has Joe's father's experience. And so with education, you can overcome just voting negatively because of your own experience, and that's why it's so important to spread it, because then you vote smarter and you get public restoration project. It's a much better plan. So, again, I'm sorry that this took a while, but I'd love to hear what other people have to say. Thank you. Hi, Jay. This is John in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, I just wanted to call and weigh in on the Stacy and, and Joe conversation from uh, this weekend. I think that Joe's use of term uh, paranoia as his perception for Stacy and his father's heightened self-preservation uh, instinct reveals his majority advantage being able to look at the situation through an objective lens of statistics and reality rather than through their subjective lens of their own experiences. Stacy is a minority and suffers therein because uh, she's a woman and she is more likely to be uh, victimized. Joe's father is also a minority 
in that he has been a victim of multiple violent crimes in the past. Therefore, from his uh, subjective experience point of view, he is also more likely to be a victim of a violent crime. Their heightened awareness of their subjective uh, realities leads to a self-perpetuating cycle of them witnessing or researching examples that support the conclusions they've already come to. Again, namely that as a woman, Stacy is more likely to be victimized, and Joe's father, he is at, presumably at this point elderly, uh, presumably white, uh, and obviously male, and he has already been victimized, so therefore he sees himself as, as a potential victim. Again, Joe's majority privilege is that he can look objectively at Stacy and Joe's situations and say that they are not making objective decisions, but that is because he is coming from a place of privilege that they do not have as minorities. Again, this is John in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Thanks for the good work, and uh, keep it up. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So the Joe in question in these last couple of voicemails uh, called back himself, left another voicemail, didn't have time to play it today, but I will play it in the next episode, so look forward to that. In the meantime, I'll give my couple of cents, uh, the real short version, uh, from from sort of both sides uh, of this coin, you know, when looking at those types of people who are likely to attack you and that you should be concerned about, you know, if it is a minority that is committing a crime, it is not their minority status that is the reason why they are committing a crime. It is a much more complex dance having to do with, you know, centuries of institutionalized, uh, you know, socioeconomic situations that has come down through the generations leading these people to be at the point where they are which makes them maybe statistically more likely to be in the situation where they feel like they have to commit crimes to, you know, get along in life. But that is not, you know, an, an inherent or intrinsic part of being minority. So that's one side. The other side is, you know, the question of are people like Stacy and Joe's dad oversensitive to uh, to this situation of, of feeling that they are sort of like statistically more likely to be victimized uh, and and so therefore being vil- vigilant about it, are they being oversensitive? And I think depending on how you define your terms, one answer could be yes, absolutely they are and here's why. If they walk home one night and are vigilant and they don't get attacked, then by definition they were overvigilant that night. And if, uh, you know, say Stacy, for instance, uh, you know, walks home from work five days a week and she only gets attacked one day each week, every week, well, then, you know, those other four days, she could have, you know, just relaxed. And so she really only needed to be vigilant that fifth day, you know, but of course, this is impossible. So, you know, yes, people are more uh, vigilant and more sensitive than they need to be, but that's because it's impossible to be the exact correct amount of vigilant. 
I'm honestly not sure how helpful or insightful any of this is, but I see it as just sort of a fun mental exercise. Uh, so that is it for today. If you are interested in joining the conversation, call in at 206-202-3410. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks especially to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations through the website. Uh, If you like the show and would like to support it, please consider uh, doing one of those two things. That is how the show survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips you particularly like through your social networks, and all of that can also be done through the website. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Bitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you wanna meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor